Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. Joining us on the star line is a friend, a brother from another mother. He is the musical director, original member of the worldwide sensation, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Al Petrelli, welcome. My brother, it's so good to hear your voice. How are you, my friend? Absolutely great. Let's go beyond the mic. Let's dance. Born in New York, what's your favorite memory growing up? Oh, gosh. Um... I, I, you know what? You got me. I don't, I don't know. Um, okay, well, here's one. Uh, going to see The Temptations in 1968. Where did you go to see them, and what made that concert so special? I think it was my first live concert. Um, it was a venue on Long Island called Westbury Music Fair, and it was kind of like a theater in the round. So I think I was about six years old at the time. My aunt, my uncle took me, and you know, you, you're talking about like the heyday of Motown and everything that was going on in the world at that time. And I just remember sitting there, noticing like people from all different walks of life were in in one building enjoying the music that had only been heard through the radio. And I think that kind of like tapped me on the shoulder, you know, between that and seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Uh, that kind of grabbed me by the heartstrings and never let go. I remember some great things at Westbury and then also at Jones Beach. Oh, God, yeah, always. I remember I played there in 1976 at the little band shell, you know, with whatever my junior high band was. And then years later, I got to play there with uh, when I was playing with Megadeth, you know, at the big venue. And I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. When you got back there with Megadeth, what did it feel like your whole life came full circle? kind of did because um you know as a kid on long island going to you know whatever venue it was like we had said westbury you know uh, the nassau coliseum the colmack arena madison square garden jones beach you know the beacon you know to turn around you know maybe 20 years later you know certainly well 10 years later when i got started with cooper but you know by the late 80s you know playing those same buildings on a on a national level and then continuing to do so for what's going on 30 something years now it's kind of you know you dream of something then when it comes true you hang on to it for you know with all your energy you know you never let go of it and now you're talking about 25 years of recording with Trans-Siberian Orchestra and 21 consecutive tours over 21 years you know and people ask me all the time like you know does it ever get tiring I'm like Nah. Every time I put that old Les Paul around my neck, it's like I'm 14 all over again. Who influenced you to become a musician? Uh, let's go to the Beatles for that one. I mean, um, when they hit Ed Sullivan in 64, I think it changed. Anybody who was old enough to watch that, if you ask anybody my age or older, they'll all say the same thing. I've heard Joe Walsh say it. I've heard Steve Lukather say it. I've heard everybody say watching the Beatles changed our lives. Not to mention what they did to the entire planet, but musically, that was it. You know, for, for whatever the reason, whatever the combination of things, the, the, the universe lined up in that two and a half minutes, and that, that was it for me. We talked about Westbury and Jones Beach. How about your first guitar? Do you still have it? I do. I do. There is, well, my first real guitar or my first guitar? Your first real guitar. My first real guitar is a... Uh, early 1960s Cherry Sunburst Les Paul that my dad bought for me when I was in 7th or 8th grade. Uh, that guitar is uh, what I recorded every note of every TSO record. That was Paul O'Neill's favorite sounding Les Paul ever. And um, when he passed away two years ago, I put it in a glass case in my kind of you know little trophy room, and that's the last time it'll ever come out of the glass case. 
Um, I, you know, it's my prized possession. You know, first of all, my dad had given it to me, and he died, you know, back in '88. And Paul would not let any other guitar be on a TSO record. You know, he was just—he's something about that guitar he loved, and, uh, and now it's you know put away. When you're at home and just itching the right or play a lick, what's your go-to guitar? I, you know, I keep a guitar almost in every corner of the house. I got to be careful because you know my daughters get a hold of them and they play El Cabong with them now. <laughs> but um, it, you know, I, I, there's an acoustic guitar. Like you know, I'm up here in, in uh, my sitting room. You know, there's a in, you know Martin 16 in the corner, leaned up against the wall. Down in the living room, there's one. Um, you know, so pretty much, I, I, it, no particular guitar, just like whatever's lying around. Because if I get something in my head, or I just feel like playing, or we're gonna do like a little, you know, like after dinner jam session with the girls, you know, before they go to bed. You know, there's always instruments everywhere. You know, there's pianos and tambourines and, you know, uh, uh, percussion instruments and, and definitely a lot of guitars. Well, you went to the Berkeley School of Music in Boston in the early 80s. What's your best memory of Berkeley? Meeting some really great friends, making some great friends. Uh, I got to meet, we, we kind of put a band together back then, and obviously all of us are just a bunch of kids that are on to cut their teeth, but it was myself, uh, Derek Sherinian, piano player, uh, Will Calhoun on drums, and uh, Will went on to form the band Living Color. Wow! And you know we've been friends. What's going on? Close to forty years now. Uh, Derek worked with me in Alice Cooper's band. Then he became part of Dream Theater. You know, so you know the relationships that were established just for a love, a mutual love of music. You know, that was a lot of fun. First time you were in a studio, you were there to record what? <sighs> okay, the first time I was in a real recording studio recording for real I was recording um, the one of the two uh, guys from Miami Vice Philip Michael Thomas was doing a solo record and that was trying to answer to Don Johnson had a lot of success back in the early 80s with uh, a record that he had put out and I remember a couple of the dudes from Cool and the Gang were producing it that was the first time I was ever in a real studio in New York City making a real record which by the way was voted one of um, one of the top 10 worst records of all time by Billboard magazine I was very proud to be part of that. <laughs> Dude, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, that's the reason <laughs> why I brought it up, because you can't make some of this stuff up. You can't. Both East Coast and West Coast crews are coming together in Omaha for countless rehearsals. When the gang starts rolling in, new members and old, what emotions do you go through? None, to be honest with you. I really don't. Uh, we've been doing it for so long. You know, I, I, if, if I had to compare it to anything, it would be like the first day of school, you know, like uh, you know, like Groundhog's Day in high school. Really? You know, you haven't, I haven't seen most of these people since we finished the tour, you know, on December the 30th. Uh, there's a little bit of, you know, catching up. Hey, how's your bit? How's the kids? How's the wife? How's the husband? Whatever. But other than that, man, I'm so focused on, you know, digging in and getting to work. I don't have a whole lot of time. Uh, I, I will always walk into that arena and miss Paul. I'll walk past what was his dressing room. Now his daughter occupies it, and I'll always miss our, our talks and our laughing and our you know pinball competition. But other than that, man, I'm there to work and dig in because we have a responsibility to outdo ourselves from last year. You know, and it takes a lot of work to accomplish that. Well, this year you roll out an all new version of Christmas Eve and other stories. Mm-hmm. Going back to the beginning. Talk to us about how this is, is going to be so much different, but yet so familiar. Well, it's familiar because it's the first record the Transylvanian Orchestra ever did. It, and when we first toured in 99, that was the story that we presented live. So it's really special to all of us. Um, it's also the first recording that, you know, 
folks in the audience had ever heard. And the first time they'd ever seen us play for many years, we did that show, we, you know, presented Paul's story that way. Uh, so it's going to be really exciting to do that again, to, you know, re-meet all those characters, to relearn a lot of those songs, uh, to hear that narration being told once again. Because I, I think it's been like eight or nine years, maybe even longer since we've ever played on Bittersweet to re-perform now, you know, without Paul. But, you know, his wife and his daughter now guiding the ship. It's going to be different, but equally as exciting and fulfilling. Uh, that'll be the only familiarity part of it. I, I mean, the, uh, the production, you know, what our crew has put together, from what I've heard, I haven't seen it yet. I won't see it until rehearsal starts. But think about how much technology has advanced in the last eight or nine years since we've played this last and what they're going to put together for this. So it's going to be biblically over the top. 2,100 shows performed by both East and West Coast crews of TSO. What's your favorite story from on the road? Uh, I don't know. We, we, we <laughs> Breaking my leg, opening night in Omaha a bunch of years ago. Not my favorite night, but certainly, uh, you know, that, that's a story that will always come back and haunt me. You know, jumping off a riser and, you know, like thinking I was 25 and landing like I was 45. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's smarted. Um, I don't know. I, I think my fondest memory, though, will always be when I, I look down. I forget when it was. I forget where it was. <clears throat> but there was a, uh, and if I'm repeating myself to you, because if you ever asked me this question before, it's probably the same answer. But there was like, you know, some grandpa with his granddaughter on his lap. And when, you know, a pyro hit would go off, she would jump and cling onto his neck really, really tight. I don't know, the way that they looked each, at each other and, and you, know, like, you know, there was 60 years between them. But they were, for that two and a half hours, they were connected, you know. And uh, I just remember looking down and going, wow, you know, look what Paul had created look, because of his music and what his family's carrying on. Look, look at the relationships that are just standing, staring me back in the face, you know. But, uh, you know, the older I get, those are the things that really like, catch my attention now. Anyone who's seen TSO show thinks it comes together without a hitch or a problem. Well, with the exception of when you broke your leg, what was the last oopsie, and how did it get fixed? Yeah, we blew up the power grid in Jackson, Mississippi one night. You know, smack dab in the middle of a song, man. Things got quiet really quick, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, 12,000 people in an arena, and like all of a sudden, like, not only did we lose power in the arena, but whatever occurred, the whole city of Jackson went black. As I, you know, and I just kind of remember walking to the front of the stage and at the top of my young yelling, oops. <laughs> You know, there's no cool way out of that. So you just kind of, you know, we chuckled about it when the power came back on and we kind of started doing the show again. It was fun. But, you know, listen, this is a live rock and roll band. You know, when stuff goes upside down, it really goes upside down. Uh, my job and the crew's job is to make sure that we always prepare. Paul told us, prepare for the worst, and hopefully you'll never have to use it. So, you know, this is such a bunch of professionals that even when things do go south, our job is to, to the best of our ability, make sure the audience never notices it. Well, with all your pyrotechnics, has anyone ever gotten caught in the danger zone, or has it just been so ingrained in them that they don't? No, it's ne there's never been a mishap, not only for the folks on stage or under it, but people in the audience. Because we didn't start out, you know, w with this much stuff. You know, this has been a, a gradual build from 99 until, you know, you and I are talking right now. And, um... Perfect practice makes perfect. Practice doesn't make perfect. You have to practice perfectly. 
And we go through these drills so often, so many, I just over and over and over again to make sure that never. And then when it comes to pyro, you, you know, we have our pyro shooter, but we have, you know, two spotters on stage. So if anybody's standing where they should be for whatever the reason, they'll just, you know, they'll pull the plug on it and that's that. I asked you this last time when it was kind of raw and hindsight. Got to ask you again. Talk about your friend, your visionary friend, Paul O'Neill. We don't have enough time this month to cover, you know, a tenth of it, you know. I mean, my best friend, um, you know, obviously the creator and founder of this whole thing, uh, writer, producer, storyteller, all around one of the greatest human beings on the planet, heart of gold, generous, um, unwavering in his focus and work ethic. Uh, I don't know, dude. I miss him every second of every day. And if he was still here, he'd be adding on another three tractor trailers of stuff. Yeah, yeah, he would. And you know what? In his memory and his honor, that's exactly what his wife and daughter are doing. And that's what we're going to carry on. Listen, at the end of the day, Paul wanted us to live forever. Okay? You know, with his family running things, you know, it shall. You know, and whatever your, your religious beliefs are, you know, if you live forever in people's hearts and minds, then that's eternity, you know, and that's where Paul rests right now. What lessons from your early years have you passed on to the new generation of TSO? Don't take anything for granted. You know, you, you don't deserve this. You earn stuff like this, you know. And um, if you have nothing good to say, then don't say a word, you know. This is such an honor and a blessing and a gift to be able to walk through life saying that I, I do something for a living that I would no, normally do for free. I spent the first half of my life you know, playing guitar, never made a dime, didn't care. I just loved the way it felt in my hands and the way it sounded. Now you know, that I do this for a living and I'm able to you know, take care of my family by doing that, you know, that's a privilege. You know, that's very few people can turn around and say, I love going to work. I can't wait to get to work, so I don't ever take it for granted. Well, you talked about the worst album you ever played on. You've played with Alice Cooper, Asia, Megadeth, Sabotage. What's your most favorite album you've ever played on? Uh, Christmas Eve and Other Stories. I knew it's good. I, I knew the answer, but I just had to ask. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like, you know, you're also asking me, like, which one is my favorite child? So, you know, depending on what day and how much they're annoying me. <laughs> but, uh... Christmas Eve and other stories, for all the right reasons, not only is it, I, I just think it's a great record from top to bottom, but it was the beginning of something that's going on 25 years now. So the most important record, and certainly my favorite, it's timeless, you know. It's like when, when I go back and listen to, like, the Allman Brothers Alive at the Fillmore, it still sounds great. When I go back and listen to Christmas Eve and other stories, you know, to re-listen to parts or just kind of, I put it on in the background, it still sounds amazing. And I remember every second of recording it so it kind of takes me there as well talk about playing guitar with your kids before they head off to bed <sighs> when uh my daughter olivia she's probably four or five years old she wanted to learn how to go on the guitar you know i kind of went wow that's kind of cool you know you know, if she's listening to ariana grande or ed sheeran or whatever the heck she listens to but the well, you know, and then like my middle son, Jamie, 
actually played bass on the Fireflies collection with us, you know, when he was 16 years old. You know, Paul just said, this kid's too good of a bass player not to be on a record, and that was one of the things he absolutely wanted to do. So Jamie came in and played bass on that, and I watched him in the studio sit down at the big boy table and nail it. And the pride was incredible. On a different level, you know. But that's what it is. That's why, you know, you asked me before, what do I tell the kids in the band? Dude, don't take a second of this for granted, you know. Because, you know, live in the moment, enjoy this, and appreciate it all the time. Because if it ever goes away, you'll, you know, then you just lay down and die. You know? yeah. Well, time's running out, so it's time for the Rocking Eight. First thing that comes to your mind, no pressure. All right. Last three non-TSO songs you heard. Toes by Zach Brown. Uh, More Than a Feeling by Boston. And some obscure Kansas song. I don't remember which one. Well, we talked about it earlier about, about venues, but what's your favorite venue? Red Rocks. It, it's so interesting that everyone, a lot of bands just love that Red Rocks. You know what, dude? It's just so different, you know? I mean, listen, you know, there's so many great venues on the planet I, I've been able to play, and but when you stand in Red Rocks and you look up, it's like, this place is beautiful. Last concert you saw that you didn't perform in? Jeff Beck and Paul Rogers. What non-musical hobby do you do in your downtime? Box. Last book you read? Steve Lukather's autobiography. What event in your life would make a great movie? The birth of TSO. At every TSO concert, you salute the men and women of our military. If you could have served, what branch would you want to represent? Marines. Finally, the wife asks me every year. We talk every year. It's a running joke. So i got to bring it up again. Hmm? What's in the sauce? <laughs> Pork. His favorite venue is Red Rocks. He would have been a Marine, and he's ready to go on the road once again to tell a tale and remind you that Christmas is just around the corner. Trans Siberian Orchestra's Al Petrelli. Safe travels, my brother, and we'll see you soon. My brother, much love, okay? And thanks so much for the time. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. Next time.